0: the Center for Interfaith Cooperation in Indianapolis, Indiana, is dedicated to building peaceful dialogue among and between different faith communities with the help of a diverse board of faith leaders who have incredible stories that inform their interfaith work. Today we have Canon Bruce Gray. Welcome.
1: Great to be here. Thank you.
0: It's great to have you. If you wouldn't mind... Talking first just a little bit about yourself to get our listeners a little acquainted with you. That'd sure. Be
1: awesome. um, I'm an Episcopal priest, and I've been a priest for over 30 years, um, basically all my adult life. And I grew up in California, had my seminary training in the Chicago area, and fell in love with the Midwest, but have ended up spending about half my uh, ministry time in California, about half in, in Indiana, particularly in the Indianapolis area. And right now I serve Holy Family Episcopal Church in Fishers.
0: Okay. How has that distinction been from California to Indiana?
1: It's interesting because (laughs) with, there's an old saying that whatever is happening in the rest of the country started on the West Coast. And so I found when I moved here about 10 years ago, that sure enough, about a year later, maybe two years later, what we had been experiencing in Los Angeles, culturally, politically, economically, came to indiana and so now it's that that head start's no good but
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're here in the middle (laughs) yeah
1: i just have to call my kids out there and see what's going on (laughs) for my other family members but um yeah it's it's many it's in many ways is culturally quite different to Mm. be in indiana than um the urban areas of california but uh, my wife and i love it it's a great place to be the The goal of having community, interfaith and otherwise, is pretty strong here. It's not something you have to convince someone that that's what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's more about, well, of course, that makes perfect sense. Whereas in the, particularly where I was in Los Angeles, we had a lot of people in the, what they say, as they say, the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. And so there was a whole lot of self-promotion and um, dog-eat-dog competitiveness, even within bodies of faith. And so it was a much bigger challenge to have cooperation on a community level on um, all sorts of different projects, interfaith projects, um, various community activities, things like that. They had to convince people that they would get more out of working together than just doing their own thing.
0: What got you interested in interfaith, I guess, coming from California to here? Was that an interest that you had Oh, in yeah.
1: I've been interested in interfaith activities literally since I was a kid. Really? My um, parents, growing up in California, my parents were both thoroughly convinced of the need to be involved in our communities and to uh, reach cross boundaries. I was born in 1960, and my parents were part of... Um, civil rights movement to mm-hmm. a certain degree um, as amateurs and volunteers and so we'd spend time going to all sorts of different cultural um, political and religious events to my parents want to make sure we were exposed to all sorts of different types of folks mm-hmm. and so once I became an adult it felt very natural to continue to form those kinds of bonds wherever I lived yeah. So. Everywhere that I have lived, I've been involved with a local interfaith group. That's the Mm -hmm. first, now how I would phrase it, that's the first thing I Googled. Though (laughs) back then it was sort of make some phone calls and see who knew what (laughs) to figure out what the interfaith network is. And I've really enjoyed um, spending time both in California and here developing all sorts of strategies to improve our communities and build tighter bonds through the interfaith networks.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. How is your, what is your faith journey like? Maybe in regards to your specific faith, but also Mm -hmm. these interfaith acquaintances that you've made along the
1: way. Well, when um, I grew up an Episcopalian, which for Episcopalians is very rare. Most Mm -hmm. Episcopalians come to the Episcopal Church either from no faith background or perhaps another Christian background or other um, body of faith. They come to the Episcopal Church as adults. Okay. Um, So I'm a rarity. In fact, we did a little who are you game in our congregation at Holy Family, and I was one of three people in the congregation that had grown up Episcopalian out of really? a couple hundred that were participating in this. So um, I'm, I'm a rarity in that, in that way. But um, what my faith journey really had to therefore be is claim what was going to be mine versus what had been handed to me. Hmm. And so that involved quite a bit of, mainly as a teenager, looking at what other faiths were about and i knew i was a spiritual person so i wanted to see and see for myself what the different faith traditions were out there and see which felt truest to me Mm -hmm. and uh, like the best fit um it helped that we were living in a university community Um, my father worked for the university of california and so i had friends from well, at least a dozen different faith backgrounds. Wow. And my parents had absolutely no hesitation about uh, us doing this kind of exploration as we were growing up. So I got to experience what it was like for a Jewish family, for various Eastern religions, for atheists, for all sorts of different brands of Christianity.
0: Is this through dialogue or through actual experience?
1: Actually spending the night at their house. I mean, <laughs> they were my friends. So it would be Friend. hanging out. Um, yeah. And... Uh, what was probably the most interesting was a household that um, was good friends with a, a boy my age and they were avowed atheists um, and yet were perhaps now they would be more comfortable calling themselves pagan uh, because what was crucial to them and to their faith journey was getting out into nature frequently. Nice. And so I really enjoyed going camping with them. Yeah. Uh, My dad's joke was he had gone enough camping during World War II, so that's not (laughs) something we were going to do. And, and again, they were very – my parents were great about me um, exploring life. And so we'd go out to the desert of Southern California. And as we sat around the campfire, the adults, um, as atheists, would talk about the wonder of everything we were seeing Hmm. and would have us all – all us kids and there were a lot of kids, you know, three or four families camping together, walk out into the darkness and look up at the stars and see the constellations and the Milky Way. And, um, if it is the right time of night, see satellites going by, which is really hard to see usually. And the, the wonder that they expressed was one of those huge lessons to me that people won't necessarily use God language when talking about the wonder of life and what a, a Christian, for instance, may say the wonder of creation. Mm. For them, it really was the wonder of science. And they, Interesting. they were professional scientists. And I learned a lot from them about, about wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, their vocabulary then started to become limited compared to what I'd be able to express today. But it was sufficient. And um, very, I really appreciate how vulnerable they were willing to be about what was important to them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So that was one of those things that was formational for me, particularly becoming soon a professional, so to speak, in religion, of taking seriously the spiritual walks of everyone. Mm -hmm. That even someone who says that they don't have a spiritual walk, and I wouldn't force this title on it, but from my perspective, it probably is spiritual, Um, even if it's not part of any organized religion or perhaps has no concept or belief in god at all
0: yeah definitely yeah. so how have you taken that to get to where you are now
1: well what that helped me learn and this that was when i was in elementary school um that helped me to really develop a keen sense of listening hmm. uh that basically if i'd shut up i could learn an awful lot <laughs> from other people <laughs> that's fair (laughs) yeah and so in some ways what I've sought out in the uh, 45 years or so since then are the quiet times the campfire times with people and to be able to listen to their stories and their perspectives and their experiences and their perceptions Mm -hmm. and that has greatly enriched my spiritual journey and the ways in which i can express and perceive god in the world around me Mm -hmm. Uh, probably one of the most interesting things to me is the growing movement across various cultural um, barriers even in our society about practicing mindfulness yeah that you give credit where credit's due that's for the most part started within buddhism but in the episcopal church it was something that by the time i became an adult was uh, a very popular movement of uh, prayer form. And fast forward to today, uh, corporations are teaching it and public schools are teaching it to their children, Mm -hmm. to the students. And in some ways, uh, it strikes me as the great interfaith movement of our generation. Uh, And if I hadn't been listening through all those years, I don't think I would have been able to appreciate now as I see it popping up, almost all over the place, mm-hmm. as something that's um, worth paying attention to, Definitely. and be able to see the the pattern of its growth. And yeah. again, using my vocabulary, I certainly see God moving through that. It's mm-hmm. um, giving us tools in a time of our society, a time in history which is so full of stress and fear and detachment from what's going on around us that mindfulness practices help us get re-centered within ourselves if we're religious with the divine uh, but regardless with what's happening here and now definitely which is one of the huge challenges oh yeah keep our feet on the ground as Mm -hmm. we're looking at what's on our social media feeds that may be taking place around the world and there's a goodness to knowing what's happening around the world but it can get us lost in our everyday.
0: Oh, absolutely! I can speak to that. with just college and all of the yeah. different responsibilities, just life in general. Mm-hmm. Definitely. We had Tony Wiederhold here um, recently, and he's working with Eli Lilly to incorporate mindfulness into their practice as a right. business incorporation, which is super neat. Yeah. So yeah, I can see that for sure. Um, how did you get to know the CIC? How did you get involved here well, in Indianapolis?
1: Um, Grace Burton Edwards was an Episcopal priest in Indianapolis. Uh, she's now serving, um, shoot, now I'm blanking on where it is, somewhere in the South. Uh, but she was at Trinity Episcopal Church and she was on the original board. Hmm. And, uh, so I heard she was involved with, uh, interfaith stuff. Yeah. Um, I hadn't even heard the name CIC yet. And so, uh, I bought her coffee and said, tell me what's going on with that. <laughs> <laughs> and so she started to brief me and, Then, to my embarrassment, I realized they were in the same building I was working in. (laughs) Oh, that's where they are. And then shortly after that was uh, when Grace received the the call to move to a new parish. And so uh, when CIC needed a new board member and was hoping to have someone who was Episcopalian, I was very willing to step in as her replacement.
0: Yeah, cool. Okay, that's awesome. You're in the same building. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. What have you learned since being on the board? Have there been some connections that are memorable and stories that you've encountered?
1: What's fascinating to me is how the diversity of faith expressions in the Indianapolis area that are so firmly rooted now, Hmm. of the the new temples that have been built just since I've uh, moved here 10 years ago, and... The wonderful religious festivals with, uh, uh, I'm not going to name any communities because I don't want to slight any because I haven't been able to go to all of them that are invited to. But the the fantastic openness that across the board the faith groups have with inviting people from various backgrounds to come enjoy, enjoy and uh, be inspired by their holy days, by their architecture, by their studies, worship. Uh, And of course, social justice activities that we do together. Uh, Everywhere that I'd been uh, involved with interfaith work, the, the social justice, the helping the poor and that sort of thing had been the easy work to do together. And so what's impressive with me in Indianapolis is that the CIC community has taken much further steps than that so that we really are able to pray together. And using all sorts of different forms and formats um, and not watering down what anyone believes, but instead being open to praying in the form that someone else does every week or every day. Really? And I may never have experienced before that we don't try to figure out what's the lowest common denominator, but rather have a respect for each other and each other's spiritual practices that I think is enriching to everyone involved.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. When you have these encounters, does it challenge your own beliefs or does it strengthen
1: them? Oh, always, for me, always strengthens. Mm-hmm. Um, something I didn't say is that in college, um, I almost had a second major in anthrop- cultural anthropology. Mm-hmm. And so that always gives me the, that, that background sort of gets uh, wonderfully tickled in <laughs> interfaith experiences of, okay, this is how this group is expressing What's important to them and here are the values that they're sharing and um, the symbols that are important. So it's it's always enriching and um, just piques my curiosity to learn more. Mm
0: -hmm. That's great. Can you speak a little to Episcopalian and like what that looks like as a denomination of Christianity?
1: Of course. Uh, We're one of the more liberal branches of Christianity in the United States. Our roots are in the Church of England and so our current claim to fame is that our head bishop our presiding bishop spoke at the royal wedding uh, last summer and uh, got all sorts of social media attention that way and he's a great guy even without the social media attention but um we consequently our roots are back in the 1400s in the roman catholic tradition but since we've had hundreds of years we've continued to have a strong symbolic and sacramental life Uh, So we use similar terminology as Roman Catholics and Orthodox churches do. But we have a particular American bent on it where we have women clergy, priests and bishops and deacons, and we have um, gay and lesbian transgender clergy, um, as well as in lay leadership, of course. And we have tended to be, particularly in the last about 70 years, pretty progressive In on the political fronts as well, which um, is symbolized in who we have in leadership Mm -hmm. and uh, real intentionality about having diversity in leadership. We're doing a lot of work um, over the last 10 to 20 years on racism because we're aware that um, we're a, a diverse denomination that historically has had to deal with racism and often just try to be polite about it rather than make substantial institutional changes. Yeah. Um, we do wonderful symbolic things like electing African-Americans to leadership to our bishops are elected. So we have a number of um, African-American bishops and all. But then when it comes down to a congregational level, are we really open to having a wide variety of cultures and races in the pews? That's a tougher question. Hmm. and in a very episcopal sort of way. We do lots of studies on that and discussions and are doing our best to, to grow in that. We also have been very involved for really since our inception in the United States at the time of the American Revolution in social justice um, economic types of ministries. So we started places like Julian Center and Damien Center. Really? In I can hear um, that. yeah, in Indianapolis and Quite a few other um, great organizations that then we, in a sense, we're the incubator to use current language, and then spin them off to be freestanding nonprofits, so they have better time fundraising. I see. Uh, but that's that's typical in any part of the United States where um, the Episcopal Church is there. There's almost always some kind of nonprofit, um, if not multiple ones, that the Episcopal Church was key in forming.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: like my last um, community, our congregation helped start a homeless program that include included all facets of what we call recovery from homelessness okay. so it, it had housing and emergency services but it also had uh, psychological medical job training all the other pieces and for our congregation it was a no-brainer it's like that's what Episcopalians do mm-hmm. and so we were able to start something that began in a parish hall into a multi-million dollar freestanding charity. Wow. And just say, you know, we're going to continue to support you, but but fly a little chicken and see <laughs> at, and it's laying lots of wonderful eggs now. <laughs> that's
0: incredible. Yeah, that, that's awesome.
1: That's that's very typical for the Episcopal Church. We're not well, yeah, I'll say this. We're not huge on dogma. Uh, we really believe that the nice historic Nicene Creed is a fici- sufficient creedal statement, so we don't have any kind of confession of faith, like a lot of Protestant churches do. Hmm. And we don't have a library full of dogma like the Roman Catholic Church does. And so we really leave it on the shoulders of uh, each person, lay person, uh, cler- clergy person, to decide for themselves what they believe and how they're going to live their lives. We give lots of guidance and um, we sort of have a, a minimum of Believing in uh, God and the Holy Spirit, believing in Jesus Christ, um, treating others well. But then after that, it starts to turn into quite a diversity of thought, which makes it Fascinating to be part of an Episcopal congregation. There's
0: Definitely. always
1: good discussions going on oh,
0: about
1: how we should respond to life around us and make the world a better place.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like you're really getting your hands dirty. You're oh, getting yeah. to know the community, you're going out there and showing right. um, your faith rather than just talking about it. Yeah,
1: yeah we tend not to be just, at, we, we tend to have a lot of academics in our congregations, but we want to apply what we're thinking about and yeah. test it. and build on it. That's know.
0: great. Have there been some challenges or misconceptions that you've had to overcome in regards to being a progressive Christian?
1: Oh, all the time. Uh, first of all, yes, we are Christian, even though we're progressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that I remember when um, some years ago uh, within the Episcopal Church, our first openly gay bishop was elected, and I had a number of colleagues from more conservative Christian churches in the community I was serving at the time come up to me very sorrowful and said, I'm sorry, this is the last time I'll ever be able to talk to you, that you've cro- your denomination has crossed the line and if I even talk to you, that will compromise my beliefs and the beliefs of my congregation. Um, so you know, in instances like that, of course it, it's hard, um, but what's, what's e- in terms of the personal relationships. But it's also hard in terms of not even, even being able to agree that we're following the same God, mm-hmm. um, that um, Episcopalians will sometimes be accused of not believing in the Bible, even though we take the Bible very seriously and spend lots of time on biblical scholarship. But we don't take it literally mm-hmm. and uh, take it within the context of the cultures that produced it And believe that God works through all that but um, that doesn't mean that was ever frozen at a certain moment and can't be changed Mm -hmm. so some fellow Christians have misconceptions about us not believing in the Bible Mm -hmm. uh, not believing in God not believing in the fundamentals of the faith is what I've been told and we like to think we do but express it in a different way and that many things that people at any given day and age, think are the absolute essentials to agree on, we find with our historical perspective, not so much. That that keeps shifting through time. Hmm. And certainly there are hot-button issues in any given time. But if we can agree that we should love our neighbor as ourself and love God with our entire being, then we can work together on all sorts of projects. (laughs) Uh, Rather than worrying about, is my fork on the proper side of the plate true
0: yeah definitely and looking at interfaith specifically do you find that your faith encourages interfaith work? oh yes yeah
1: yeah it's the episcopal church has been one of the leaders in interfaith efforts um probably for centuries hmm. but uh, <clears throat> when the interfaith movement in the united states really took off after world war ii The Episcopal Church was really in the forefront of the leadership of that.
0: Yeah. Neat. Because I am currently in a religious pluralism class where we look at interfaith from a Christian perspective. Mm -hmm. And there's various ways that you encounter religious pluralism. Like you can be exclusive in your mindset within the Christian faith and say, this is the way and the only way. Um, But, of course, there's a spectrum to that. And I'm trying to wrestle with how do you stay true in your Christian faith, but also celebrate the diversity of other faiths as well. And it sounds like they can go hand in hand and should, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And (laughs) the basic um, thought that we keep in mind is God loves us all and we are not responsible as individuals or as a denomination We are not responsible for loving anyone more than god loves them because that's impossible so out of that construct it's much easier than to say okay this is you're worshiping god in a way that's very different from i than i do but it's easy to see that you really are loving the world around you uh, with a great deal of sincerity and effort and so I think we're all on the same track at that point. Yeah. And I don't have to step in and say, well, unless you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to hell. You know, it's just not something we believe right. um, in how God works. And so that takes a lot of pressure off us mm-hmm. as Episcopalians and gives us a lot of room to be involved with interfaith efforts and relationships and, and studies and things like that.
0: Great. Why do you think interfaith is so important?
1: Well, I think God has purposely created the different faiths of the world. And um, I'm not going to say all faiths because of like white supremacy, I think technically is a faith, but I don't think God created that. However, with that little caveat, I think God did the, did this kind of creative work on purpose. And part of it is to help us grow in our own sense of wonder about the diversity of God's creation, uh, including within the human race and the Mm -hmm. cultures and religions of the human race. I think we learn more about God by learning how other people uh, see and experience God.
0: Right. Definitely. And to end and conclude here, what is your definition of interfaith?
1: Interfaith is the seeking to appreciate in the other the presence and experience and expression of God. Awesome. Actually, I'll step back. To the, <laughs> to the divine or that which is beyond us. Okay. Some people would not accept the term God, and I want to respect that.
0: True. Valid point. Well, thank you so much for being here. You're Bruce. very welcome. it was welcome. great hearing your story inside of things. And listeners, stay tuned for more great stories from other board members. Visit the Center for Interfaith for more information and ways to get involved. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned.